everybody. This is a Gregory Luna. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. I hope you're doing well today. Sorry about the abrupt intro. I can't find my old tracks to copy and paste my intro at Extra, so it's kind of abrupt. There's a new uh, GarageBand. I use GarageBand on my iMac, and um, there's a new new version, and I haven't figured out how to do some stuff on it. So look, today we're going to talk about intergenerational trauma and how this affects us today. I am a little down, but it's part of being human. We have this idea with the Papa Pill mentality that we always have to be happy and we can't have feelings aside from happiness. We need to shame every other feeling that we have. But that's not human, right? It's not human to always be happy. So intergenerational trauma. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because we all suffer from it. We all suffer from it. I mean, and this can go back generations. There is a quote in the Old Testament about God punishes families for a sin of somebody for generations. And I, I suppose the most classic example would be Adam and Eve, right? If you were raised in Christianity, you know that Adam and Eve fell. They disobeyed God, right? He told them not to eat from the any fruit from the tree of knowledge, which is commonly misrepresented as an apple, but it was just the tree of knowledge. And they ate it. They were seduced and beguiled by the serpent, but they did eat it. And for that, they were kicked out of the garden. They were to die. Before that, humans would never have died. They would have lived eternally in the garden. And because of that, pain came, childbirth came, we had to labor, and then eventually we died. And because of Adam and Eve's sin and disobedience, we all were born with that sin. And we were all born with the capacity to to do bad and sin. And it's their fault. And now we have these intergenerational of many, 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 many generations uh, of, of that Sin, the original sin is what we call it, and that's what baptism's for, right? You go to baptism to wipe away the original sin of Adam and Eve. Now, you don't need to believe that. I'm just telling you that's the story uh, from Christianity. But certainly, crap that happened to your great-grandparents was likely transmitted to your grandparents, who then transmitted it to your parents, who then transmitted it to you, and you're likely going to transmit it to your kids. And this is why it's important to identify and discern intergenerational trauma. Because we get mad at our parents, right? It's 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 almost like human nature, you know. There's there's different stages, right? When you're six or seven, you idolize your your parents, right? Partly because you can't live without them, right? They feed you, they house you. You can't make them mad because they could just kill you, kick you out, or whatever. You're completely reliant on them. But as you age, you start seeing them for their flaws, and certainly when you reach puberty and adolescence, you can rebel, and then you might hate your parents. 
But we tend to blame our parents for some of our shortcomings, some of our physical issues, some of our emotional issues, right? That at the least, you know, you don't let me ever go out. I don't have any friends because of you, you know, so forth and so forth. And then sometimes in our 20s and 30s, we come back around and we realize that when, when especially if you become a parent, you come around and you realize, yeah, now I know exactly what they're going through. Right? And there tends to be this this cycle, this full circle that occurs. But, you know, it doesn't always occur. There's a lot of people who, uh, when their parents died, they were estranged from. They were estranged. And they never, they never get that kind of closure of the full circle. And that's kind of sad, right? That's kind of sad. But certainly, let's just, you know, we, we could go back generations, generations, but the, the, one of the sad things about life is we are forgettable. And what I mean by that is unless you end up on an encyclopedia, or now I should say Wikipedia, but unless you do something famous or infamous, like assassinate a president or something like that, we are forgotten within two or three generations. I mean, think about your great-grandparents. What do you know about your great-grandparents? You might maybe have pictures of them, but you know nothing about their personality. You might know some anecdotes, but you know nothing about them, what they liked, what they didn't like, what what you know their dreams and aspirations were, who their friends were. You know, we know nothing about them because they're forgettable. And what's gonna happen to us is that we are forgettable too within a generation or two. I mean, certainly from the common world, I mean, people die every day. Nobody thinks about it. Nobody bats an eye. How many funeral homes do you drive by and people are dead right there? You know, there's some service going on or, and we don't care, right? People die every day. We don't care. So certainly within a generation or two, we are forgotten, right? But the trauma that they accrued sticks with us, especially our, let's just say our grandparents, because that's the ones you might remember the most. So let's say your grandparents were abused, physically abused, you know, back then in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, parenting was pretty much beating your kids. I mean, it wasn't until the baby boomers, I mean, they did it to the Gen Xers, but really, I guess it was, I guess it was the Gen Xers who, who didn't do it to the millennials, because by then we were so enlightened. Right, by then bullying, like in California, you could get arrested if you spanked your kid in a supermarket. But certainly, our grandparents beat the crap out of our parents half the time. Right, that was just part of child raising. Right, don't speak unless spoken. Be seen but not heard. So shut the f up. We don't want to hear from you. I mean, that was pretty much that. But certainly, there was a lot more physical abuse. Of course, sexual abuse. You know, we did that episode on. How kids of single moms are forty times up to forty times more likely to be abused. So look, sexual abuse is one of those things nobody wants to talk about, but everybody knows somebody who's been abused. I mean, it's just one of those things. So just those two things, and I mean, there's other forms of trauma that linger, right? That linger. So let's say your grandma was sexually abused, right? And she, back then they didn't go to therapy, right? So she just sucked it up. She just sucked it up. Or let's say your grandfather was beaten the crap out of by her, by your great-grandfather, right? You just internalized it. You sucked it up. And maybe when you got older, you 
try to deal with it through what you knew best, drinking, right? Or beating the crap out of, of, of your dad, right? There was no like, hey, let's talk it out. Let's go talk to a priest or pastor or let's journal it. You know, all this stuff, all the mindfulness stuff that people do now. They didn't have any of that. She's like, you got the crap beat out of you, suck it up. You got raped, suck it up. Okay, but but see that that's trauma that's never addressed. And that's trauma that sticks to you. I mean, look at all the impulse control disorders that we have. Trichotillomania, right? Pulling your hair out, onychophagia, eating your nails, compulsive shopping, compulsive drinking, compulsive sex, codependence. I mean, all all these all these things, gambling addiction all kind of stem from the same thing, underlying unresolved trauma. And if these things are not addressed, they continue, they linger. So now you have your father who's, who, who was, crap was beaten out of him by his grandfather. And he might do it to you, or he might be drinking a lot. And so now he's raising you, and he might be doing those things to you. So now you're the inheritor of trauma from three generations. And you, of course, are not typically privy of this knowledge, right? It's not like your dad's going to sit you down one day and say, actually, you know, your grandmother was raped. You don't know this stuff. No one has that kind of level of, of kind of, I don't know, cognizance, right? I mean, some people do. I guess I guess if you're one of those, your, your mom, grandma, we're all therapists, and they want you to process everything every day. You know, there's some families that are like, you need to sit down and process what you're going through. But most families don't do that, right? They just, they don't communicate, they don't talk, they don't want to be emotional. And so this baggage comes to your parents, then it comes to you, okay? Then you internalize it, and then you go to some of the addictions, or you go to depression, or, or whatever, it's manifested. And then you just happen to, you know, inseminate some woman and have children now. Now you have your own breed of children, your brood. And then you just kind of raise them the best you can. You know, you're confused. Maybe you still spank your kids. Maybe you don't spank your kids. Maybe you do. Maybe you let them do whatever. Maybe that's why they're spoiled. Maybe they're just on iPads all day. You know, who knows? But we're transmitting crap to them. And I think the best illustration would just be using my own family because I don't know your family. So my father, famous doctor, one of the most famous cancer doctors of the 20th century, head and neck pathology, top three in the world, wrote 400 articles, 37 books. He was the head of the uh, American Pathological Society, the Latin American Pathological Society, and the European Pathological Society. And he's not European or Latin American, even though he's from Mexico. He was very famous. But he was a functional alcoholic. Now, my brother, who doesn't listen to my podcast, of course, would not appreciate this, but, you know, oh, well, he knows it's true deep down. We used to find alcohol in his car all the time, you know, my mom and I. And and he he was a good man. Look, he was my soccer coach. He taught me history and art. I used to go to perpetual adoration with him in the middle of the night. That's when you go to the church and you just pray in front of the sacrament. But he had trauma from his grandfather. And the the way he handled it was boozing, drinking a lot. And by raging, he was a rageaholic. He used to rage at my mom and my older brother, my my oldest brother, not the one who doesn't think he's an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, you didn't know what you were going to get when you came home. I talk about this in, in episode like 15 when I talk about the cancer doctor, but I know a lot of you don't listen to the early confessions episodes. 
And so growing up with a rageaholic, you don't know what you're going to get. So you're always uneasy, right? There's, you're in this constant state of vigilance and worry because when daddy comes home or mommy, whoever it is, uh, when they come home, you don't know what you're going to get. You might get the benevolent, sweet dad, or you might get the dad who's tell, calling you a piece of crap that he wishes you were never alive, making fun of you. Like with my dad, he would make fun of my obesity. And he would say the aforementioned. And so you grow up with this, right? This unease. My mother, being the product of, of, of a rageaholic, you know, in, kind of internalized. She was aloof. Her her mother and father were both very aloof and emotionally distant. She once said that her father was probably bipolar, from what she construes bipolar to be. And she was never a nurturing woman. I think both of my brothers would attest to this. She was never a nurturing woman. And she was constantly on antidepressants since I was like four. When her mother died, she kind of cascaded. Or I'm sorry, when my grandmother died when I was four, she just kind of cascaded into this this deep depression. So through most of my life, she was just aloof, uh, undetached or detached. And... um you know, just very solipsistic in that she just worried about her own depression and didn't really nurture her children. So growing up with that, I had a rageaholic father and an unnurturing mother. I had to fill up that void and with me and with a lot of kids who don't have access to booze when they're five, turn to food. So I turned to food and I became obese. And then when the kids started calling me obese, that's what really fueled it. And I became obese. Now, I did lose my weight when I was 18. But as you know, in this podcast feed, there was a lot of trauma that occurred. It's not like you wake up one day and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm good because I look like everybody else. right? And so that, that trauma, that early childhood trauma I went through, which is detailed in these 50 plus episodes, you know, I'm sure I transmitted to my children, right? I'm neurotic and I'm an insomniac. I'm overanalytical. And I, I mentioned about 10 episodes earlier on the episode entitled The Stocky Son. My eldest son is stocky. And I worry about him because now his, his sister, my daughter, calls him chubby. And if my, if my daughter's calling him chubby, he's probably getting that at school, right? And he's eight. So probably going to be internalizing. He's he's knowing he's chubby. He's probably going to fuel his eating. His eating is not that great. So then I think, okay, well, here we go. I'm transmitting the intergenerational trauma, right? He didn't know I was overweight. Now we, we've kind of talked about it just anecdotally how daddy was a, a big kid because they've seen pictures, I think, from the website. Um, but I don't, I don't know really what goes through his mind because he's he's very introspective and doesn't communicate. His sister is the opposite. She's very articulate, precocious, and will speak her mind. So I worry about him. You know, I worry about him. But going back to to you know, you know the other thing I worry about, and I think a lot of people who come from who come from a divorced marriage worry about this. It's like what is the outcome of that divorce? How is that going to screw up your kids? Because a lot of people, and especially I think the women in, in from that come from divorce, because divorces are initiated 75% of the time by the women. The women like to rationalize and think that the divorce is not going to hurt the children. But even though all the statistical indicators show that divorce, especially divorce with strife post and pre, really screws up the children, 
right? They have attachment issues. They have higher rate of incarceration, higher rate of drug abuse, higher rate of teen pregnancy, you know, higher rate of, of all these issues. And so I worry how, because I didn't deal with my sheet rock, um, they're going to have some stuff to deal with because I think my upbringing certainly contributed to the divorce, my divorce. Now, I, I'm not going to cast aspersions on my ex-wife and talk about all the reasons why we divorced, but I can be introspective enough and honest enough with myself that certainly, and I think I've mentioned this in the episode, maybe Food is My Mistress, how certainly my neuroses and my debilitating insecurity, especially when I was in my 20s, contributed to the divorce, right? Because I I still had all these these lingering uh, crutches and coping mechanisms after I lost my weight. You know, you still see yourself as a fat person in a skinny person's body. But but all the, the bullying, the, the telling that you're a horrible piece of crap, all the kids making fun of you, all the all the rejection from the opposite sex, all this stuff lingers. And with me, it, it kind of manifested with just neuroses, right? And I'm not one not to look in the mirror and say that that my neurotic behavior and the other coping mechanisms that I developed as an obese child didn't affect my marriage and didn't contribute to the divorce. And now my kids have to deal with it, right? And how is that going to affect them? I don't know. We'll find out, right? Maybe if this podcast is still going in 10 years, I'll let you know. But let's back it up. So intergenerational trauma. So I hated my parents for being overweight. And I talk about this, I think, in episode one, why did I become fat? And I would tell them, especially my mom, I would say, you know, a five-year-old doesn't know what, what he's eating. He just puts whatever in his mouth that the parents put you should have told me something. You should have stopped the food. And she would always say, Albert, and I haven't done my mom's accent in a long time. She'd be like, Albert, you, you always were spoiled. You always you know, screamed, I wanted more. I need more. I need more. Give me more. And so I just give you more. See, my mom was never a good disciplinarian. She was always a people pleaser. I mean, even today, she's 79 years old. She has problems saying no. So, I mean, I could certainly see when I was a, a bratty little six-year-old, like, Mom, I want my food. Da, 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 da. She would just give it to me because she didn't want to deal with me. And but see, but most five, six-year-olds, they eat until they're no longer hungry, and then they stop eating, right? Okay, so something throws off the eating uh, regulatory cycle, right, to make you eat more, okay? So with me, it was just nurturance. I wasn't getting nurturance. So I hated my parents for being fat, and and this was through my adolescence, but even after I lost my weight in my 20s, I would still, you know, kind of be mad at them and tell them that. And then I reached a point probably... I don't know about the time my dad died. So this probably was like mid-30s, early 30s maybe, that I sat him down and I knew some stuff about his his childhood. So my parents are from Mexico and my father, my grandfather was a total alcoholic. He used to build highways in Mexico right after um, the revolution. And he was not a good guy. Okay. My dad loved him to death, but we all knew he was not a good guy. I mean, he was just a total D-bag. He, he used to to yell and probably beat his, his wife, my grandma. And so on my father's third birthday, she walked out on them. She just left. 
on his third birthday. He was the the middle child, and um, so he had a younger brother, older brother, and she just left, and she left the kids with my alcoholic grandfather, and so his sisters raised my dad. But you you think, and of course you know, as my dad grew up, he knew the story. But you think what what does that do to a three year old when your mom just leaves one day, doesn't come back? What kind of trauma is that? That's horrific. It's absolutely horrible. So now he's dealing with abandonment issues. And now he's got to be raised by a rageaholic, alcoholic father and, you know, his 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 aunts. Now, my aunts were awesome, thankfully. But still, that was tough. So when, when I was in my 30s, I, I sat down with him and... I told him, it's like, look, you know, I, I know I've always raged, at, not raged at you, but I, I was mad at you all the time for being obese. And I remember we were at an airport. I don't know why. I mean, he took, he flew all over the world for conferences and stuff like that, but I don't, I don't know why we were at an airport. And I told him, I was like, I, look, Nick, I know what happened to you as a kid. You did the best you can, you know, and you did the best you could as a father. And you did a lot of great things. Taught me stuff. Uh, you did the best you can and you know I love you and I will always love you you're my father and you know I accept you know what happened and you know I'm no longer gonna be mad at you and he he cried he actually cried I think that meant a great deal to him and I didn't know at the time but he was gonna be dead like in a year he had an aneurysm and died so I was fortunate and that I was able to have that conversation with him before he died because there's a lot of sons who don't get to have that conversation. And they have to live with such regret. That's a lot of regret to live with. Right? You never reconcile with your father or mother before they died. And I was fortunate to have that. And I think I'm fortunate now to have that kind of realization that there is intergenerational trauma. Right? And... It behooves us to identify it, right? So if you're old enough and you still have your parents around, you need to ask, you know, what was grandma like? What was grandpa like? What was grandma? What was great grandpa like? Blah, 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 blah. And I think, especially if you have elderly parents, I think it's important to reconcile with them. Look, because we all have anger and baggage. I mean, I, I with my mom, right? I had the same conversation with my mom. And I told her, it's like, mom, I turned to food because you were you weren't there. And she still is she still fights it. She's like, Would I but I had a bipolar father? It's like I understand you had a bipolar father who did not give you nurturance. But instead of going to therapy, now she went to therapy all through my childhood. She went to a, a Freudian, a psychoanalyst. So the the Freudians, if you don't know, as opposed to cognitive behavioral therapy, the Freudians will make you go to therapy like four times a week for two hours and just talk about childhood. So she went to therapy for like twenty years. Didn't do anything. Her, her psychiatrist had her on eight different mental health psychotropic medications at one time. Because, you know, that's how it is in America, right? We just drug everybody up. Just drug them up. That's how we treat them. We just drug them up. Oh, you got side effects? Oh, it's all right. We'll just give you more drugs for the side effects. And so yeah, having a conversation with her was radically different. It was just like, you know, oh, you know, I was dealing with my own stuff. You know, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, whatever, you know. So, you know, I couldn't get closure with her, but... She is who she is, you know, and so you have to accept your parents for who they are and, and just express to them any frustration you might have with them, but try to be compassionate and understanding that they were once children who were abused, probably. 
and they they took in that drama from their grand from your grandparents, and uh, they put it onto you, right? So the key the key really is we all have baggage from our parents. We all have intergenerational trauma. But the key is to stop it with you, right? And if you're older and you already have your children and they're older, like in their twenties or thirties, then have conversations with them and say, look. I know I wasn't the best parent, and I'm sorry. You know, I was dealing with this from from being raised by your grandparents, but that's no excuse. You know, I'm I'm sorry for for I did the best I could. I'm sorry for any any crap that I gave you, or any psychological issues that I transferred because of this. You know, and even if they're angry, or maybe you know, maybe you have great relationships with your kids. You know, either way, even if you have great relationships with your kids, it doesn't hurt to have this conversation because see, people love vulnerability. Well, I I should I should actually rephrase that. Uh, I think kids like vulnerability from their parents for sure, right? Because it shows that you're human. And I think in general, people like it when people apologize and say, "Hey, you know, I did the best I can. I'm sorry." You know, right? Because we're all kind of wired to forgive. What we hate is hubris, the inability to admit fault, pride, right? Excessive pride. It's one of the deadly sins. So we don't like that. So when when somebody obviously is in the wrong and they can't apologize, nobody likes hubris. But everybody likes a, a remorseful, apologetic person. So look, go to your kids if they're older and apologize for mistakes that you made. With your younger kids, if they're, if they're still minors, um, just try, especially if they're older, like teenagers at that age, I think it's important to just kind of be honest with them and, and apologize for your mistakes. If you have younger, younger children, just notice how you're raising them, right? If you if you hit your kids or if you spank your kids or you're cussing at your kids because you're having a bad day, you got to stop doing that, right? You got to stop doing that. That's not helping those kids. And you got to step back, introspect, and uh, like, wh- what am I doing? Why am I doing this? You know, the mindfulness, right? It, it's just hard for a lot of, of, of people to do this, right? We we just it's hard for people to step back. And look in the mirror. We don't like to look in the mirror. Just like with, with health stuff, right? We don't like to look in the mirror and be like, hey, I have diabetes because I ate crap. I have cancer because I ate crap. I have heart attacks because I ate crap. I have to be responsible for my obesity. You know, we don't like to hear those kind of things. But when it comes to your children, you have to look in the mirror and see, like, what effed up stuff did I inherit? And I need to stop this because I love my children. So they don't push it on to the next generation. So it's crucial that you do this. Love your kids, you gotta do it. You got to do it. Stop the intergenerational trauma. Guys, as always, the website's Naturopathic Earth. Go check out all the articles, especially if you're wanting to lose weight or maintain your weight. There's about 200 food recipes there, and there's a bunch of other articles about toxins in the food. I have the nine part series, How I Lost Over 100 Pounds and Kept It Off for 28 Years. I have the eight part series on the Sleep Insomnia Chronicles. Those are separate ones. If you want to support the the podcast, donate money to our Patreon account and our PayPal Me account. Look at the episode notes. You can find the links. You can also buy Confessions of an Obese Child on Amazon Kindle. Just go to the episode notes. I wrote my second book. I just had need to edit it, so I'm being lazy on that. Also, you can use the Amazon links found in the recipes articles to good to Amazon and anything you buy within 24 hours through our links, we get 2% commission at no expense to you. 
And as you know, we have three podcasts. We have Confessions of Anobi's Child, the original Holistic Health News, the flagship, and the Essential Oils and Herbal Apothecary. Please subscribe to all of them, tell people about them, and post an honest review. Until next time, take care. God bless. Be good to yourself.